this is not a one-time conversation. Right. This might feel uncomfortable, but it's still an important conversation to have over and over. Practice having the conversation. Use correct body terminology. Um, this is not a shameful topic. And um, to make sure that, you, you know, you remember that there is always an age-appropriate way to tell the truth. It's okay to not know the answer right away. You can get resources. We're here to help provide those resources if, if you need them. But make sure that you're listening um, to your kids and, and honoring their questions and the information that they want and, and need. Hello, this is Amy Rudowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. Our philosophy is we believe in the social-emotional development of all children, and we believe that that happens within the context of free, uninterrupted playtime. This podcast is meant to serve as a parent education and as an outreach so we can reach more families. Now, our next episode. Welcome to the SYC Approach, Empowering Preschoolers Through Play and Compassion. I'm your host, Amy Rudowski, and today I have with me Ellen Cook and Maureen Campbell. Ellen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I've been teaching at School for Young Children for eight years, and I have four children. I have a degree in early childhood education. Okay. Hi, my name is Maureen Campbell. I have been a teacher at SYC for seven years. Um, I have three children and have studied early childhood education. And your kids are SYC alums, is that correct? My kids are SYC alums. Awesome. So you have the experience from being here as a mom and now um, as, a, as a teacher. Parent. So today's topic that we're going to discuss is kind of uncomfortable for some people. So the topic that we're going to talk about is sex. So how to talk to your children about sex. So... When we presented this recently at our most recent parent ed, the first thought that I typically like to have um, parents or people think about before talking to their kids is think about what you remember from being told about sex. What did your parents, what kind of information, what was the story that you were told, what was the guidance that you were told about, about sex? And then was that helpful to you? So I think it's good, like, that's a good place to start there. For me, as I was explaining to the parents at our parent ed, I'm super comfortable talking about this topic, about um, uncomfortable things, about how to talk to your kids about these things. And the reason I think I'm so comfortable talking about them is because I grew up with it being a comfortable thing. So I grew up in a house where it was always, um, you know, we could always ask questions, we could talk about anything. It was never a taboo subject. And so that, for me, as a parent was that was really important for for me to raise my children in that sense so what about you guys what are your kind of thoughts about that as as a parent um when when approaching that kind of topic i think it's important to be comfortable talking about sex with your children and if you aren't comfortable with it to to become that way now for me personally growing up in my house we did not talk about sex and i had to learn about it through my own means and this was pre-internet but um now as far as my own parenting goes with my children we talk openly and freely about it because I want my children to be comfortable to come to me with any questions um 
or concerns that they may have regarding sex. As when I grew up, I was given a book and told <laughs> to read the book, and yeah. that was my extent of my sex education right. from my parents. It's time to read this book, Ellen. Yeah, take a look. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was your extent. So what about um, with you being a mom and, and having having kids, and how did you sort of approach those topics as a parent? So we would have discussions, and I think that I always wanted our children to be able to feel free to talk to us about anything. And knowing, not having any um, education from my parents, it was hard for me at first to think, how am I going to talk to my kids? But then I stopped and thought, how do I talk to them about anything? So I think practicing a little bit without the kids being there, my husband and I would kind of talk back and forth so that we could feel a little bit more comfortable within how we wanted to approach our children. So we kind of did some practicing first. So, and then in the parent ed, um, I asked families, you know, if you have a question or you need information, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go and get that information? The internet. You are. And so guess what? It's our jobs as parents to be the internet for our kids right now because eventually they are going to get on the internet and get those answers um, that they need because when children have questions they seek answers Um, so you know it was always important for me too as a parent to make you know I would tell my kids if you have questions about these things or you see something you read something you want to know ask me and I will give you the correct information because I wanted them to get the correct information and not you know, just something that they might stumble upon on the internet. Um, we're going to talk, you know, in a little bit here about kind of how to have these some of these conversations and maybe when to have some of these conversations. Um, but one thing I think is just really important is that there's going to be at some point when your kids can read, and if you haven't given them some information yet, they might read something in a uh, you know a magazine at the grocery store. You know, while you're standing in line or you know, just anywhere, they might pick up a book that's laying around that maybe you weren't aware of. So if they're able to start reading, then it might be time to have some conversations um, uh, about those things. So we know that when we want to get comfortable with talking about it, what are two things that we think are important to accomplish when having these conversations with kids? I think it's important for parents to be able to foster their child's feelings of comfort around sexuality and in discussing sexual matters, and then also learning what limits you want to set regarding your child's sexual expression. Okay. So let's talk a little bit just kind of about what some normal um, sexual development is. So let's just kind of focus here on the on the ages of kids between two and six, because that's the, the age grouping that, that we're going to see here. So Ellen, could you kind of go over some of that, the normal um, sexual development stuff that we might see sure so kids at this age they often lack modesty so they're going to run around naked they're going to be you know free with their body because they have no inhibitions yet Uh, so it's important to know that that kids run around naked so children may touch their general genitals or masturbate in public or in private and to know that's totally normal it's pleasurable it's self-soothing and children will do it They're very comfortable in looking or touching their peers or their new siblings' genitals. 
they'll show their genitals to the peers. Um, oftentimes they'll stand or sit too close to someone. They like to see other people and adults. Yeah, they're curious about bodies and curious yeah. about how bodies work. And so that's all normal behavior. They, they're curious, and this is one of the other things that they're curious about. Yeah, when family members are dressing. Mm -hmm. um, they may play doctor or family or house. They may pretend they're having a baby or nursing the baby. All of these things, they're imitating what they see in their own world. And I think also at this part, it's, it's also important to discuss, you know, they, since they are so curious about their bodies, they're going to talk about body parts and they're going to talk about bodily functions. A lot. A lot. <laughs> poop and pee talk at the dinner table. Yeah, poop a and lot. pee. A lot of poop and pee talk. And I know a lot, some parents are very uncomfortable with this. And I'd just like to offer this perspective with that, especially in the preschool age. So, if, you know, we hear about poop and pee in the four-year-olds. I mean, every day and it's you know knock knock who's there but mm -hmm. but on your head you know any mm -hmm. kind of joke you can make with but so the perspective I like to offer is that you know we have to remember that we've been talking about children's bowel movements their entire lives right about are you poopy do you need yeah. a new diaper or now we're toilet training and so do you need to go poop do you need to pee and so now all of a sudden they want to talk about it mm -hmm. and then we are uncomfortable with it it's really important to them yes it is, but it's it's something that we've talked about their whole life, and now they want to talk about it. And so, you know, now as a parent, you can set limits on that as far as, you know, if you don't want to hear those that at the dinner table or that's your, you know, um, limit on that. But I think as just kind of knowing the understanding with, with d development, you know, that's their bodies. They want to talk about it. So when talking about bodies, I think it's super important that we know to think about using proper body terms so why is that important Maureen it's important to use proper names for body parts in order to give your kids the correct language in naming things so for example you know using the words like penis vulva vagina breasts nipples um, it's important to arm them with that information so that they can have that um, to to help them understand sexuality and it also helps keep them safe in some ways because they're yeah. able to correctly identify their own body parts as well as others and i think it's also teaching them that there's nothing to be shameful about with a body part you know we don't giggle as much when we hear you know arm or elbow or toes mm -hmm. or legs right these are just their body parts and we're giving them just the actual factual information of what they are without shaming them so let's just continue on the body kind of safety um, teaching t um, topic. So one of the things that we do here all the time is we've already started talking with kids about consent. Mm -hmm. um, it's not always, you know, it's not necessarily in the sexual way that, that we might be thinking of with our adult um, lens, but it is something that we work with every day in the classroom. Do you want that person to take that from you? Tell him no mm -hmm. um, and to be able to set a limit on it. So consent is something that we're, we're always working on. Yeah, even before we would hug a child, we ask them, is it okay if I hug you? Right. Um, so they know that that's their body and yes. they can say yes and they can say no and we will respect that. And I think it's important too, while we, while we teach kids at school to ask permission before touching somebody else's body or to let somebody else know that they may not touch their body. This carries over into familial situations as well. Um, so, for example, 
if you have family visiting from out of town, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, it's important to not force your child to go up to, you know, Aunt Becky or Uncle Joe and, and, and force them to give give them a kiss or a hug because your child may not want to and it's teaching them that they don't have autonomy over their body. Exactly. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. And I'll say this all the time that they're the boss of their body. Mm-hmm. You know that does come back and bite you up some sometimes as parents but it's true though. You want th- to give that message that they are th- the boss of, of their body with that. Um, and so then w- with thinking about that though talking about um, you know, letting them decide about um, if they're going to hug or kiss. But that also helped me think, um, Maureen, about when a grandparent or somebody might, um, you know, tickle a child and play the game. You know, so it was always a rule at our house, you know, if if somebody says stop, you have to stop. Mm -hmm. And so I even had to kind of articulate that with to my father-in-law in in front of my kids because, you know, he he thought he was doing a playful thing with tickling. And uh, sure, it's a grandfather who's wanting to play a game. But my kids said stop, and it was important for me to teach that. And so I just, what we call teacher talk here is I just said, you know, Rich, at at this house, if somebody says stop, we have to stop. Even if, you know, they were laughing and having fun in that game, it's okay for for someone to change their mind and say stop. And you may even have to have a conversation with a grandparent or somebody else prior to it. And so they have the heads up that they really do understand, hey, look, if if the kid says stop, even... Mm -hmm beforehand and it's okay and I think a lot of us as parents are worried about you know making our parents the children's grandparents upset or you know their feelings will be hurt if my child won't hug or kiss or greet them but it's our job as their parents to advocate for our kids and their needs and so again that's a time where if if you know my child didn't want to hug grandma that you can say you know, sorry, Nina, you know, Natalie didn't want to give a hug right now and that's okay. Mm -hmm. So by you giving that word, so your child hearing you say that word in front of the grandparents, but it's also letting the grandparents know too, I'm advocating for my child. And if your, your parents become upset about it, that's a conversation you can have with them without the children around. Right. I I think that that's just a, a really important piece. And I think it's important to note as well, when your children see you, um, back them up and step in and, and advocate for them, that is building immense trust between you and your child for the for that moment and for the future. They're learning that they can trust you, that you're gonna you're gonna be by their side and and that in turn ideally will will foster trust in the future for them to come to you with, with anything that might be going on. They learn that you're always in their corner regardless. Yeah. You are their advocate. And that's the feeling that I want kids to get about if they have a question, too, mm-hmm. that you're going to give them. That's so important. So important. So then we can talk about, you know, it's important to tell children about, you know, good touches versus bad touches. But, y- you know, you have to be, um, y- there has to be a balance of finding, you know, how much information that you want to give a child or, or, or about that, about what's appropriate. But I think it's also important to teach children um, about when going to the doctor's office, Mm -hmm. you know, that giving them a heads up that the doctors might need to do an examination and might have to touch parts of their body. But I think it's also good education for the doctor if they are not telling your child beforehand what they're going to do to kind of step in and give and do some do a little teacher talk Mm -hmm. with the doctor and say, oh, you know, could you make sure before you perform an exam that you let so-and-so know what's going to happen. Um, I, I think that's just out of respect that 
that doctors should do that. E- even if it is a small child, I think that the child deserves the respect to know what's going to happen to their body. I totally agree. As adults, we wouldn't want somebody to come up to us and inspect our genitals without our knowledge beforehand. And, and it's, um, it's important to do the same thing for your children. So do you have anything else to say about more like body safety tips or that part of the conversation or equation to with talking with kids? I think if you just let children know that a bad touch is the kind that you don't like and you want it to stop right away, that could be hitting, kicking, touching private parts. Um, it doesn't have to be just focused on your private parts, but it's, it's all-encompassing to your entire body. Um, and then reassure your children that most touches are okay. Um, but they should say, and they can say no, when there's a touch that confuses them or scares them or they just want to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also important to give your children a solid rule. Um, kids often um, or can more easily recognize a bad touch if they have a guideline in mind. So... You know, giving your children information that the doctor may do this and and, and that's okay. Or when I change your little sister's diaper, that's okay. Um, But also letting them know that if if somebody touches you in a way that's uncomfortable or touches you in any part of your body, such as where a bathing suit covers, that it's not okay and that they can come to you and let you know what's what happened. Mm -hmm. So I think at SYC, we feel collectively that it's it's never too early to start talking to your child about sex or, um, or just kind of some of those uncomfortable topics. I think it's a good idea, though, to have a plan or prepare yourselves for um, – prior to something to prior to a question maybe catching you off guard mm-hmm. is, is where, what I want to say so the first thing I think that is important with any kind of uncomfortable topic that we know are eventually going to happen right we know you're eventually going to have to discuss sex with your child or death with your child so any of these uncomfortable topics you know you need to have a conversation if you have a partner about kind of where you you stand as far as your family, on your values, uh, maybe spiritual values. And that needs to be a part of the equation um, when, when you're having that discussion. Since we're just having a general discussion, we're not going to go into those kinds of details because those are your values that belong um, to your family. And so we want to respect those. So I have a little visual here that I, that I wanted to go over. And I did take this off of the virtual lab school from Ohio State. This is from, um, this is actually a sexual development and behavior and youth uh, and children course by the virtual lab school. I kind of took that and adapted it because I thought it was a great visual that, um, which, yes, I understand that this is a podcast and you're not able to see that, but I kind of wanted to talk through what this visual was um, with, with just any kind of question that might come at you by surprise. So the first one is to pause. So if you get a question and you're not unsure or you're taken off guard first pause remain calm kind of collect your thoughts then depending on what the question is in your environment you may have to redirect that question temporarily here's my example for that when my son was uh, in first grade he asked a question about sex right as the school bus was coming I wanted to validate that his question was really important and that I was going to get back to him on it. 
but we just didn't have the time to answer it right then. Also, I needed to buy myself a little bit of time to collect my thoughts on what I was going to say. Um, so, so redirecting not to avoid, but just to redirect if the environment doesn't allow for it at that moment. Then your next step is going to be to listen and ask more questions. Because sometimes the question might not be what you actually think it is. Meaning a kid could say, what's sex? And what they really might be asking is they saw on a piece of paper, I'm thinking of an older child, it said, do I write male or female mm -hmm. or something like that? Again, I'm not really going into to, um, gender identification or, or biological sex. I'm just talking about if a child were to read a word and wonder. Sometimes sex doesn't always mean what we're expecting it to yeah. be. And so f to find out more information, you need to ask questions. And then to try to understand from the child's point of view. So taking it what the, where the children might be asking. Um, if they are asking questions, they're wanting information. And then teach. That's your opportunity to communicate your values, your expectations, um, and, and giving them the guidance and information that you want to about that. There's a quote. Um, I, I'm not, this isn't going to be a direct quote because I can't remember it exactly, but there's a Mr. Rogers quote that says, there's always an age-appropriate way to tell the <coughs> truth. Right. And so I think we need to consider that, that if kids ask a question, um, that we can find an age-appropriate way to, to answer that. And, and we will kind of talk about that in a second. So then on this, on this visual, I have um, about responding after the fact. So we've, ha we've had that conversation. Um, and then later on, kind of reflecting. Consider um, the information. If you need to gather more resources, maybe you have to find some more information for your child that you weren't able to answer at the time. Then maybe prepare, know how to respond if it comes up again, or, you know, just if you need to prepare to respond to another a further question about it. And then communicate. I think this is really important to communicate with your support people. So if that's your partner, if that's a friend, um, SYC staff, you know, if you have a question and need to um, prepare more on that. I also want to add, though, that this is not a one-time conversation. Right. This isn't a one and done, right? This is a multiple lifetime conversation um, for, for kids to, to really kind of grasp this. And can I add something, Amy? Yes. I think it's also important to note that it's okay to tell your child, after asking more information, like, well, what do you think about that? It's okay to say, I don't know the answer to that right now, but I'm going to find out and I will get back to you. And then to really get back to them. Yeah, and that's yeah. the important that's piece. It. You have to get back to mm -hmm. them. Um, I had a parent that asked me um, one time, you know, they said, I'm really uncomfortable talking about these things, and, and, and I'm hearing what you're saying, that this is, you know, important topics. How can I get more comfortable with this? So first, my suggestion would be to practice, mm -hmm. practice, 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 and to talk about it. G get yourself saying some of those words if they, you know, you feel yourself blush every time you say them. You know, start practicing. Talk with, you know, if you have friends that have young kids, maybe practice that conversation. Practice it with your spouse. Um, and it's okay to feel uncomfortable talking about it, but it's not okay to avoid it because of your discomfort. And I would add to that that it's okay just to give little pieces of information. You don't have to go into it in great detail unless that's what your child is asking you. So you give the information that they're asking you 
remembering where they're at. Um, sometimes I know I have a tendency to just talk too much and it's just start to kind of ah, bah, 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 bah. and that's not necessary. You know, answer the question and if they have more questions, answer that question too. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of just maybe kind of go through some of these scenarios of things that, that might come up, questions that might come up and by child. So let's kind of maybe talk back and forth, like maybe interact like th- like that, um, and and talk about possible ways to respond. It's not going to be you know a script right mm-hmm. every time, mm-hmm. but I think just having some language maybe in your tool, your tool belt um, toolbox might help. Um, Okay, so we're going to just kind of go through some some possible conversations. And, and I want to start with saying that there are lots of different ways that families are made. And there are some great books out there, and we can always provide some resources. <laughs> um, one of a great book I know out there is called uh, Not the Stork. Um, but there are lots of great resources to, to discuss that families aren't just made in one way. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just trying to give you some language here. We want to acknowledge that we know that not everybody's story is the same. And it's okay to also add that into part of your conversation with your kids to say that there's lots of different ways families are made. So if a child were to ask me a question, so so Ellen is my three-year-old child. So Ellen, let's say you have a question. What would your question be? So how do babies get in there? So my first response would be I would pause and then ask again. So I would say, are you asking how that baby is growing in that woman's belly? Yeah. And, how'd that baby get in there? And and for a three-year-old, I would probably say belly, even though um, it's, it is a uterus. But I'm for a three-year-old to understand the outside part of a, a body that I'm pointing at. I think that that's more developmentally where they kind of are understanding. I would probably add in there about a uterus, but I might just ask first. Are you asking how that baby got in that woman's belly? Are you asking that? Yeah, how'd that baby get in there? Well, I know that there's a part that usually comes from a man, and there's a part that comes from a a female or or a mom. That's the egg. And those parts combine, and then a baby starts to grow and to develop, and it grows and lives into in the um, mom's belly until that baby is ready to be born, and then that baby will be born and, and come out. How does that baby come out? So I would say that when the baby is finished growing, that he or she will squeeze through the birth canal, which is called the vagina. Yep. And so, but you you may not give all of those questions, but if that leading question happened again, well, how does that baby get out? You might answer that question. But we also know there's other ways that babies are born, right? There's cesarean sections. Um, and so that you might have to give different information on that. So that's typically kind of the first kind of question I think developmentally you get is, is how, how is that, how is a baby get in there? Um, so I'm remembering this question I got right on the school bus, right before the school bus came. So I had been saying that for a long time, like just answering that question. That's what happens. In first grade, I got the question of, but how does, how does the, the male part give, get into the female part? How does that part happen? How do those two combine? And then I knew this was going to take a more longer conversation. So for me, I went into more of a scientific kind of way and kind of sometimes it's a little bit easier when you remove yourself and kind of look at that scientifically. So I was I got a diagram um, kind of like of a body book. And then I went into talking about that. And I said that a male's uh, part, the male's penis 
will go inside the <coughs> the woman's vagina, and that um, semen comes out from the penis and combines with an egg from the female, and then if that those two meet and fertilize, then that would attach to the the uterus, and then a, a baby grows and is born, and and on and on. And what it's great if you li- will listen to your kids and some of the questions that they have are really fascinating. The, I remember one of the questions um, that I got after that was my son asked, does that happen at a doctor's office? So, <laughs> which I thought was a great question because I had kind of t- t- taken such a clinical approach. He was like, oh, does the, does the male and the female have to then go to the, does a doctor help perform you know, and I thought, well, man, that's a really good question. And so, you know, and I just answered that. No, f- that didn't happen with us. But there are some families that do go to a doctor um, in order to, to have their families made. Um, some families might need a little bit of extra help or some families just might choose um, to go to the doctor for, for that. So that's kind of where that went. Now that can can maybe happen at different ages. And and I the other part that I told my son when he came home when we had this conversation was I said, so there's nothing wrong with what we're talking about. This is very normal. This is an important topic. But I know that most parents want to tell their own kids the information. So this isn't something that you need to go and share with everybody else on the school bus or at school. But if you have questions, come to me and I'll tell you, but let's let other parents tell their own kids so that they can get that information. And, and I knew my child well, and he was able to hear that, that limit and know that I think he kept it to himself at least for a little bit. I mean, I didn't hear any other backlash about it, but, um, I think they would be more likely to keep it to themselves because you didn't present it as it being a big taboo thing. It's mm -hmm. just part of life. Yeah. And I think it's an important part to have in your conversation, again, moving to looking at older kids now, um, I think it's important for them to know that sex isn't just about reproduction, mm-hmm. right? Um, that that's, there's, sex is for pleasure. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I don't think that that's a bad thing to let kids know that. It's, it's, it's truthful information. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to go and, you know, when your three-year-old asks how did that baby give it get in there you're going to go through all of this again it's just little pieces along the way giving them information that satisfy their questions and if that satisfies then you don't have to give more information so can you guys think of any other scenarios or questions that might kind of come up that we could sort of discuss yes so if the kids are changing clothes the a child may say hey what's that pointing to a boy's penis Mm-hmm. Or um, look at that! That I don't have one of those. Yeah, I see this a lot in my four-year-old classes over the years, especially as we venture outside and get muddy, and we all change together in the classroom. Um, kids of of opposite sexes will often openly stare at one another as they change because they're they're noticing and are aware that there are different body parts, mm-hmm. which and is part of their normal development. It's totally normal. And, and expected um, and the way we handle it at school and the way uh, I've handled it as a parent in my house is to just factually explain what they're seeing so if a girl points out a boy's penis and says what's that or um, why do they look different 
you could just say, oh, well, I know that's a penis, and most boys have them, and vice versa for a boy staring at a girl's vulva. You could just explain, yep, that's a vulva. Most girls have them. And just thinking about even in the classroom, um, our dolls that we have um, are atomically correct. Mm -hmm. So that those are questions, too, that often can come up. So it's not necessarily, you know, I just want to to give information that if we if this was happening in the classroom too we're we're always kind of watching and making sure if kids want to be alone when they're changing we're always going to provide them privacy on that but we just know developmentally these are questions Mm -hmm. and and things that are totally normal um to come up i remember once in one of my classrooms years ago that there was a child noticing that another child um looked different and said to me amy did you know so and so can pee standing up and I said, yes, I did know that. And she said, he's so talented. <laughs> so those are just some of the, the fun little things that we could, fun little questions that we get in here. So we know that kids are going to have these questions. It's, it's important to answer them as they come up. But what if they don't ask these questions? You are absolutely allowed to bring this conversation up um, when you feel like your child is ready for for this information um because if they don't bring it up to you that doesn't mean they're not thinking about it that, that doesn't mean they don't have these questions and it also doesn't mean they're uncomfortable talking to you about it they may just not be bringing it up to you to find out more information so feel free to start that conversation it can be anything like if you're in the store and you see a pregnant woman or something that you see on tv or your child is taking a bath, or, you know, any situation where you could talk about body parts, where you could talk about, I wonder if you know where babies come from if you see a pregnant lady, or I wonder what you think about that, and to get more information from them and just kind of start the conversation organically in that way. I would even add to that that not only it is our responsibility to bring it up, and it is our responsibility to inform them of, of information, just like any other information you want to give to them. Sex is also a part of information that you want them to hear from you. You want to put your own family values to them. You want to make it your own individual family conversation. And it's important to just to remind people listening to what Amy said earlier, that even if they're not asking you these questions, They are most likely noticing things and thinking about things. And if they don't get that information from you, they will be getting it from some other place. So it's in your control to be able to give them the facts and dispel any misinformation that they may have before they get it from other sources. I think you want to think about this, you know, globally and in a longer-term way. You want your child to be able to trust you enough to be able to have a conversation and you want to trust your child enough to be able to have a conversation and yeah it can be uncomfortable at times but you get through that and you grow and you learn and then you can talk about other things that come up and have a open an open honest relationship and I think, you know, if kids aren't asking the question and, and you want to bring it up and, and you might need some help bringing it up, a great way would be to get a book, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of great books out there for that. I believe um, we have recently compiled a list with the help of a former SYC teacher 
Um, and I believe Amy and Susan have that in the office. Yes, we do. So I, I just want to add back that one of the things that we mentioned earlier, but I think it's important to to remind ourselves that if you don't have the answer or don't know how to respond at the moment, reassure your child that you know you will get back to them, you will answer their question, but it, but it's okay to say, let me answer that question for you tonight at blah 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 or you know giving them some kind of thing but but then go and revisit it right and that's the important thing is yes. then you know do your information do your talking do your thinking do your practicing but do get back to them yes um, again we talked about the importance of using correct terminology so I just want to go back to um, I just want to go back and say, you know, when I was talking about maybe talking to your child about, you know, do you want to know why that baby is growing in that belly? Again, we, you do want to give them then, then the correct terminology, but until they know that correct terminology, uterus, womb, something like that, you might have to give them the word that they do know first right. with that. Just the other day, we were at snack, and a little girl looked at me, and she said, Ellen, did you know I grew in my mommy's belly? And I said, really? You grew in her uterus, isn't it? Right. And so I just made it a part of the conversation. I didn't make a big deal about, you know, uterus, belly. Just right. kind of, oh, affirmed it by saying, oh, yeah, you grew in her uterus. Yeah. And, and how we handle things like that at school is if, if kids have a question or bring up something, they notice something on the doll, we are going to respond how we would with any other types of questions. We're going to answer it honestly. We're going to answer it appropriately for their age um, and scientifically. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're, we're going to give them that, those information. So I think the, the sooner you start having these conversations with your kids, the easier. Absolutely. The easier it is. Mm -hmm. um, and it helps you get more comfortable once you start talking about it. Right. And saying that and you know now that my kids are older yeah my kids and I will use slang terms all the time to talk about stuff and we laugh and we giggle and we have a good time and that is that's fun but now but they know the correct terminology so I that was important for me to have them growing up knowing them I think it's an important piece too I know that Maureen that you said this but I, I like to just kind of really spell this part out too though it's important for children to know their own body parts if they ever needed to tell you about something that was not okay. If they ever needed to tell you or a doctor or somebody about something that was not okay or was not good with them, that if, if they were not using the, the correct terminology, it might be sending a very confusing message and we as adults might miss, miss the, the boat and not know what they're talking about. So before we f finish off this podcast today, let's just kind of talk about normalizing all of this, right? Sex is a part of life. Bodies and functions are a part of life. Just like I said, a penis is a penis, an arm is an arm, an, a knee is a knee. Um, so let's just kind of talk about why, wh Maureen, why is that so important to talk about normalizing? Um, while each body part has a different function, they are all important to us as as a whole human and in talking about it and normalizing it you're giving your children um, the opportunity to go forth into the world you're arming them with factual knowledge that they can take 
into their own sexuality as they become adolescents and adults. Um, and so we, we've talked a little bit about some of, you know, the, the typical normal ch um, sexual development parts with this. But I think another part to talk about, because it's going to come up, um, that you're going to be seeing it is, is masturbation or kind of them exploring their genitals. And it's important for them to know early on that this is a normal part of, of you know, growing up. Um, and that, that we can give them information because in addition to being their parent, we're also their social coach. Right, right at this point of view mm -hmm. so i know ellen has a funny story so i think i'm gonna let ellen tell this funny story because this could happen this is a life story this could happen to any of us so a friend of mine was at church with her little boy he was about five or six and he started to masturbate in church so she quietly leaned over to him and said hey you know she don't touch it we don't touch our penis in in public yes and he yelled out as loud as he could but it feels so good right so you know yeah. Yeah. So then she had to have a conversation with him about where is the the right. proper place right to touch yourself and right. where is it the proper place to touch yourself. Again, like you said, Amy, we are their social coaches and they needed to know that info you know, we all need to know the information of Right. There's a time and a place. Yeah. There's a time and a place. Exactly. And it, it's a self soothing <laughs> thing. It's also part of just the actual like if you go through and look at um, I think it's Freud's stages of development. You know, we look at infants. What's the first thing an infant does when they have a toy? They put everything in their mouth. That's because they're oral learners, mm -hmm. right? Then it, he moves into um, the anal stage, which is when kids are learning how to be potty trained and, and things like that. And then the next stage is genital. Mm -hmm. And so that is where they are learning that touching feels good um, and all of that. So we expect that kind of stuff to happen um, as you know, as parents and as teachers, we can just do our best to give them information about where it's okay to do those, do those things, but to know that it's just normal. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but to give them the social information, if that's something that you want to do, that's something you can do in private. You can go in the bathroom, you can go in your room, right. You know, school's not the place for that. Um, the grocery store or, or whatever church. Right. Right. <laughs> it's not the place for that. <coughs> So. And, then, and then it just starts to help them learn about privacy and learn about um, just the world at large. Yeah. And that, and this is going to be when you're going to notice a point. We had this question at, at, at Parent Ed just thinking about, you know, um, modesty um, and, and when at home you should, may, you know, stop maybe doing bath times or when should you start, you know, making sure you're wearing a robe around your children. And I, the way we answered it is I feel like that's just something you, you know, when it doesn't mm -hmm. feel right, when it feels that um, it's time for maybe just a little bit more privacy that I, I think it's a feeling that comes. Do you guys feel the same with that or? Yeah, I think modesty is, it's a hard concept for children to understand to begin with. Yes. But especially like if there's an older sibling or you're, or you're the adult, you just, you just kind of know, you just can kind of feel that now it's time to be a little bit more modest, a little bit, you know, you need to give somebody privacy. Sometimes mm -hmm. people want privacy and that's okay. Just, um, you know, just like when a, when a child is young and they're, they're starting to toilet on their own, a little bit older, you can say, do you want help or do you want privacy? Mm -hmm. It's the same way. At this point, you know, your older sister wants privacy. You know, that's, that's actually a perfect response to that. So, I, I'm just thinking about, um, the, you know, knowing of a 
two and a half or a three year old, you know, you can tell sometimes that they'll go run and hide when they're pooping Mm -hmm. and you know that they're pooping in their diaper. And so that's something you can, you can even start labeling then, Oh, you want some privacy. I'm going to give you some privacy, um, for that. So I I think they just need those concrete messages about modesty because it's, it's a hard kind of abstract concept. And I found too, with my own children that, when they had increasing awareness of of differences in bodies, I mean, they used to jump in the shower with me up until probably three. Um, and once I became aware of their increasing awareness of the difference in my body compared to theirs, my comfort level changed a little bit right. with it. And I personally wanted more privacy right. in, yes. in these spaces. I wanted privacy when I used the bathroom. I wanted privacy when I used the shower. And it's okay to let your children know that. Um, it teaches them that it's okay for them to ask for privacy and that, and that's at a certain point you learn, um, within your own family, what your rules for modesty are and what works for your family. Mm -hmm. And and you're setting boundaries on your body and what you're comfortable with. Yep. And it's also modeling for your children that, that, that boundary. And I think it's important to do that as you start to feel it so it doesn't become like a big a big issue. It's just, you know, right now I'm, I'm changing and I would like some privacy, mm-hmm. period. So I think the main takeaways that I would like to just kind of highlight again here at the end is that this is not a one-time conversation. Right. This might feel uncomfortable, but it's still an important conversation to have over and over. Practice having the conversation use correct body terminology. Um, This is not a shameful topic. And um, to make sure that, you know, you remember that there is always an age appropriate way to tell the truth. It's okay to not know the answer right away. You can get resources. We're here to help provide those resources if if you need them. But make sure that you're listening um, to your kids and, and honoring their questions and the information that they want and need. So thank you guys for joining us today. We'll see you next time on the SYC Approach, empowering preschoolers through play and compassion. Thank you, Ellen. Thank you, Maureen. Thanks, Thanks, Amy. Amy. Thank you for joining us. This is Amy Radowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. I'm the co-director of the School of Young Children. We are located in Clintonville at 93 West Weisheimer Road. For information about how to contact us, you can check our website at www.sycolumbus.org.